long history. The southern United States in the 1500s, part 23, the coast or the sea. Hello everyone, how are you? And welcome to episode 23 of Long Histories, the southern United States in the 1500s. Anyone who's followed this particular series from the beginning will be familiar with this particular introduction, but I'll just add it on here as a welcome to any new listeners, even though we're well into this document now, we're at part 23 of 25 episodes. If you're new here, however, welcome, and uh, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southern United States. That includes Florida, Arkansas, and most of the states in between. The expedition was initially headed by Hernando de Soto and began in April 1538. This narrative was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvers. We're approaching the end of this series now, but if you want to start from the beginning, episode 1, I'm sure, will just be a few scrolls and clicks away. And don't forget to subscribe to be informed when the remaining two episodes are released. Now, after their exploration of the southern United States, after five long years, at the end of the previous episode, the remaining expedition members made it out of the US mainland. The initial leader of the expedition was replaced some months ago by Luis de Moscoso, and he and the remaining expedition members built some boats to escape the American interior, and finally made it to the coast. As this episode begins, they are at the mouth of the Mississippi. Their plan to sail down the river and escape the continental US has worked. But, as often happens when a plan works, the question arises, what to do next? They know they want to get back to Spanish-speaking lands, but they still haven't decided how they are going to do it. So here we go, with the southern United States in the 1500s, part 23, the coast or the sea. Chapter 39. How the Christians came to the sea what occurred then, and what befell them on the voyage. Half a league before coming to the sea, the Christians cast anchor, in order to take rest for a time, as they were weary from rowing. They were disheartened also, many days having gone by since they had eaten other thing than maize, parched and then boiled, given out in daily rations of a cask by strike to a mess of three. While riding at anchor, Seven canoes of natives came to attack those we had brought in the canoes along with us. The governor ordered men to enter ours in armour, to go after the Indians and drive them away. There also came some by land, through thicket and bog, with staves, having very sharp heads of fishbone, who fought valiantly those of us who went out to meet them. Such as were in the canoes, awaited with their arrows the approach of those sent against them, and presently, on the engaging of these, as well as those on land, they wounded some on our side in both contests. When we on shore drew nigh to them, they would turn their backs, running like fleet steeds before infantry, making some turns without ever getting much beyond the flight of an arrow, and, returning again, they would shoot without receiving any injury from us, who, though we had some bows, were not skilled to use them. While the Indians on the water, finding their pursuers unable to do them harm, though straining at the oars to overtake them, leisurely kept within a circle, their canoes pausing and returning, as in a skirmish. The men discovered that the more successful their efforts to approach, the greater was their own injury. So, when they succeeded simply in driving them off, they went back to the brigantines. After remaining two days, the Christians went to where that branch of the river enters the sea, and having sounded there, they found forty fathoms depth of water. Pausing, then the governor required that each should give his opinion respecting the voyage, whether they should sail to New Spain direct by the high sea, or go thither, keeping along from shore to shore. 
there were different opinions upon this, in which Juan de Añasco, who was very presumptuous, valuing himself much upon his knowledge of navigation, with other matters of the sea of which he had little experience, influenced the governor, and his opinion, like that of some others, was that it would be much better to put out to sea and cross the gulf by a passage three-fourths less far than going from shore to shore, which was very circuitous because of the bend made by the land. He said that he had seen the sea chart, that whence they were, the coast ran west to the river of Palmas, and thence south to New Spain. Consequently, that keeping in sight of land, there would be wide compassing with long detention, and risk of being overtaken by the winter before coming to the country of Christians, while, with a fair wind, in ten or twelve days' time they should arrive there by keeping a straight course. The majority were not of that way of thinking, and said there was more safety in going along the coast, though it might take longer, the vessels being frail and without decks, a light storm might suffice to wreck them, and in consequence of the little room they had for water, if calm or headwind should occur, or adverse weather, they would also run great hazard. But even were the vessels so substantial that they might venture in them, there being neither pilot nor sea coy to show the way, it was not wise to traverse the sea. This, the opinion of the greater number, was approved, and it was decided to go along from one to another shore. When they were about to depart, the brigantine of the governor parted her cable, the anchor attached to it remaining in the river, and, notwithstanding she was near the shore, the depth was so great that, although it was industriously sought for by divers, it could not be found. This gave much anxiety to the governor and the others on board, with a stone for crushing maize and the bridles that remained belonging to some of the fidalgos and gentlemen who rode, they made a weight that took the place of the anchor. On the 18th day of July the vessels got under way, with fair weather and wind favourable for the voyage. The governor, with Juan de Añasco, put to sea in their brigantines and were followed by all the rest, who, at two or three leagues out, having come up with the two, the captains asked the governor why he did not keep the land, and told him that if he meant to leave it he should say so, though he ought not to do that without having the consent of the rest, otherwise they would not follow his lead, but each would do as he thought best. The governor replied that he would do nothing without consulting them. He desired to get away from the shore to sail the better, and with the greater safety at night, that in the morning, when time served, he would return. With a favourable wind they sailed all that day in fresh water, the next night and the day following until vespers, at which they were greatly amazed, for they were very distant from the shore, and so great was the strength of the current of the river, the coast so shallow and gentle, that the fresh water entered far into the sea. That afternoon on the starboard bow they saw some keys, whither they went, and where they reposed at night. There Juan de Añasco, with his reasoning, concluded by getting all to consent and deem it good that they should go to sea, declaring, as he had before said, that it would be a great gain and shorten their voyage. They navigated two days, and when they desired to get back in sight of land they could not, because the wind came off from it. And on the fourth day, finding that the water was giving out, fearing extremity and peril, they all complained of Juan de Nasco and of the governor, who had listened to his advice. And all the captains declared they would run no farther out, 
and that the governor might go as he chose. It pleased God that the wind should change a little, and, at the end of four days from the time of their having gone out to sea, by strength of arm they arrived, in want of fresh water, in sight of the coast, and with great labour gained it on an open beach. That afternoon the wind came round from the south, which on that coast is a side wind, and so stiff that it threw the brigantines onto the land, the anchors bending in their slenderness and dragging. The governor ordered all to leap into the water, on the larboard side, to hold them, and when each wave had passed, they would launch the brigantines to seaward, sustaining them in this manner until the wind went down. Chapter 40 How the brigantines lost sight of each other in a storm, and afterwards came together at a quay. The tempest having passed off from the beach where the brigantines were riding, the people went on shore. With mattocks they dug holes there, into which, the water having flowed, they thence filled their pipkins. The next day they left, and sailing two days, they entered a basin like a cove, which afforded shelter against a high wind that blew from the south. There they tarried, unable to leave, until the fourth day, when the sea subsided and they went out by rowing. They sailed until near evening. The wind then freshened, driving them in such manner upon the land that they regretted having left the harbour. For no sooner was it nightfall than the storm began to rise on the sea, and with its approach the wind gradually increased. The brigantines separated. The two that were farthest out entered an arm of the sea, a couple of leagues beyond the place where the others found themselves at dark. The five that were astern remained from half a league to a league apart, along an exposed beach, upon which the winds and waves were casting them, without one vessel's knowing the fate of another. The anchors having yielded, the vessels were dragging them. The oars, at each of which seven and eight were pulling seaward, could not hold the vessels. The rest of the men, leaping into the water with the utmost diligence, after the wave had passed that drove them to the shore, would launch the brigantine, while those on board, before another wave could come, bailed out with bowls the water that came in upon them. While thus engaged, in great fear of being lost, from midnight forward they suffered the intolerable torment of a myriad of mosquitoes. The flesh is directly inflamed from their sting as though it had received venom. Towards morning the wind lulled, and the sea went down, but the insects continued nonetheless. The sails, which were white, appeared black with them at daylight, while the men could not pull at the oars without assistance to drive away the insects. Fear having passed off with the danger of the storm, the people observing the swollen condition of each other's faces and the marks of the blows they had given and received to rid them of the mosquitoes, they could not but laugh. The vessels came together in a creek, where lay the two brigantines that preceded them. Finding a scum the sea casts up called copy, which is like pitch, and used instead on shipping, where that is not to be had, they paid the bottoms of their vessels with it. The expedition has left the US mainland but they are faced with a dilemma. To follow the coast or attempt a shortcut by sea. One noticeable aspect of the decision making process here is that people's opinions are taken, there is a general discussion and then a vote is made. In contrast with when Hernando de Soto was in charge and always insisted on making the decisions. This form of democracy appears to work although its limits are also shown here when Juan de Añasco refuses to give up on his ideas despite having been outvoted. In the next episode, the expedition finally, finally makes it back to Spanish-speaking lands. 
That's all for the latest episode of Long History. Please don't forget to give it a like before you move on. And if you can, please do subscribe and share this episode. Only two episodes remain now, so we'll find out how the expedition members are received when they return to Spanish-speaking lands. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 23, The Coast or the Sea. Goodbye.